I know anxiety is a problem, and it's especially a problem, I think, for pastors and people in the ministry and caring professions, um, because we're, you know, exposed to a lot of stress. And so anxiety is a problem, and yet the message of the book is that anxiety isn't just a problem, that it is also uh, one of the most profound opportunities for spiritual growth we have, and that taking advantage of this opportunity involves us rethinking and reframing and reconstructing anxiety from the ways in which the church, um, and even in some cases secular mental health, but I think especially the church, has mistaught us to approach anxiety. From Hope Made Strong, this is the Care Ministry Podcast, a show about equipping ministry leaders and transforming communities through care. Supporting those in your church and community not only changes individuals' lives, but it grows and strengthens the church. But we want to do that without burning out. So listen in as we learn about tools, strategies, and resources that will equip your team and strengthen hope. Hey there, I'm Laura Howe, and on the show today, we are going to be talking with theologian and podcaster Curtis Chang about anxiety. Now, the other day, I was saying goodnight to my 10-year-old daughter. Uh, The next day in her class, she was doing a song performance uh, in an assembly in front of her whole school, and she said that she was super, super nervous about this, and she was fidgeting and all the things that we do when we're nervous, and I was really tempted to dismiss this and just be like, oh, no, you're going to do great because I was tired, and it was already 20 minutes past her bedtime. Uh, what I wanted to say was just, you know, you're going to do great. Don't worry about it. Get a good night's sleep and you'll be fine. But instead I asked, yeah, it's okay that you're nervous. It will probably help you pay more attention to your leader. And it actually helped you and reminded you to practice today. You are so brave for singing in front of the school because that's a really scary thing to do. Now, my girls have heard me say many times that bravery is willing to take action even though you're scared. It's not letting feelings of being scared prevent you from doing anything. Scared, nervous, worried. This is everyday language that we all use to describe what a clini- what the clinical world calls anxiety. And anxiety is normal. To be anxious is to be human. As long as humans have been on the earth, they have had feelings of anxiety. Now, some might be shocked at that statement because many believe that anxiety is a negative thing. It's a bad thing. It's a thing that we need to avoid or prevent. And for those who experience crippling and chronic anxiety that prevents them from living a whole and fulfilling life, yes, a diagnosis of anxiety disorder is awful and sometimes overwhelming and all-consuming. And I don't want to minimize that in any sort of way. Absolutely, you need to have treatment and support for those so that you are able to function in life. However, for the average person, anxiety isn't can be a great motivator. It isn't always a bad thing. For example, left up to my own devices, I am going to be honest, I'm going to be a bit of a procrastinator. I actually need deadlines to create urgency in me. This small, manageable amount of stress, this deadline, uh, is is like stress or anxiety, is, and it's the catalyst for me to get focused and get work done. 
When I have too much urgency or anxiety or deadlines, I cope by writing uh, writing a list or a checklist and breaking projects down into small manageable pieces. Anxiety is often misunderstood. For example, anxiety is the biological response that we experience when we are feeling at risk. It shows up as emotions, as racing thoughts, and even physical responses. Think like things like pounding heart or this urge to pace or fidget. Sometimes we feel threatened by a deadline or when we're under financial constraint or when we're scared to sing in front of the school. It's all the same biological response. It's all anxiety. Lately, I've been traveling a lot more recently, and I've been finding myself in new locations. And despite airports all having the same dreary color and weird smell, (laughs) being in a new situation and a new place is actually really anxiety-provoking. And let's be honest, anything new can be anxiety provoking. My phone gets a new update and I have to do deep breathing to cope with this new adjustment and like, okay, no, I can focus. I can learn this new way of using my phone. And so it's of no surprise to me that anxiety levels have been going through the roof lately. We're, we're all facing many new things and difficult situations. So if anxiety is a natural response that our body does, and it's the biological response that God created in us, what does the Bible say about it? And this is why I'm so excited to talk to Curtis Chang today about seeing anxiety as a doorway to spiritual growth. God created our system to feel what we identify or what we name as anxiety. So what was his plan? Curtis Chang knows what it's like to feel anxiety or to view anxiety as a sin and something to overcome. He also knows trying to get rid of anxiety through sheer faith or willpower usually leads to feelings of shame and frustration. After losing his job as a pastor due to debilitating anxiety, Curtis began the process of healing his heart. Now, combining years of personal experience, spiritual practice, and biblical study, Curtis has discovered an alternative approach, one that sees anxiety as a path to our best selves in Christ. This might be a unique approach to anxiety or viewpoint of anxiety that many of us have not heard before. Curtis was born in Taiwan and moved to Chicago with his family when he was three years old. And he was actually the first in his family to give their life to the Lord. My family uh, originally were not Christians. I was the first person in my family to become a Christian. Um, And that happened when I was eight years old. Eight years old? Yeah, eight years old. A pastor who was pastoring a Asian American church, uh, evangelical free church in our neighborhood, was just doing vacation Bible schools. And he went around looking up names in the phone book. This is back when we had a thing called phone books. (laughs) And I uh, was just looking up, you know, family names with Asian sounding last names and came to our uh, house. And it turned out that I went to school with his son and uh, his son, Johnny Wu and uh, Johnny. Shout out, Johnny were, Wu. <laughs> that's right. Johnny and I were always uh, the two fastest kids in school. So we had a running rivalry in uh-huh. terms of the game of tag. And so I, when he, when he used the pastor, his father was at telling me about vacation Bible school. I just had one question, which is, is there recess? And is there going to be tag? Can we play tag during recess? And is, and then is Johnny going to be there? And when he answered yes to all three, I said, great, sign me up. I'm in. And that's really where I heard the gospel. And that's when I, um, you know, first 
uh, heard about Jesus and uh, is as much as an eight-year-old can do, gave your life to Jesus. And uh, that's the how I became a Christian. And then um, my family has since followed uh, that over the subsequent years, but I was the first one. That's an amazing story. I love that. Just vacation Bible school appealing to tech. the kids, kids interested in tech. That's amazing. (laughs) Shout out to all the VBSers because my goodness, people running VBS, it is a hard job. So there you go. You have not only changed your life, your whole family's life, and now you have this amazing ministry and you were a pastor or maybe still are. Not still. I'm not still a pastor. I'm a former pastor of a former Evangelical pastor. Covenant Church. Uh, the former is uh, explains why I wrote the book that I think <laughs> I'm here to talk about called The Anxiety Opportunity, because the reason why I'm a former pastor is that anxiety, I had a devastating experience of an anxiety break, break, fueled breakdown um, when I took over the church from the founding senior pastor. It was a growing uh, for Northern California, kind of uh, one of the early sort of seeker-sensitive emergent churches that was probably the biggest one of that uh, category. And I took over from the founding pastor and quickly found myself in over my head, mm. both because it turns out it is very difficult to replace a founding pastor, that uh, it is a very disruptive time. People end up leaving the church uh, because they you know, were bonded with the founding pastor, and then the dot-com bust hit. This was a church in Mm. Silicon Valley. So we started hemorrhaging members and finances. And I just felt really in over my head. And that's when I, um, you know, the, when the fact that I actually have been an anxious person much of my life, but didn't always know it, uh, because much of my anxiety is what psychologists call highly functioning anxiety. Uh, but as you well know, highly functioning anxiety can, uh, under the right stress, the right amount of stress, become dysfunctional. And that's what happened to me. So where it showed up most, uh, you know, damage in most damaging form was in my sleep. So uh, I started sleeping less and less. And then I finally hit a period in 2005 where in June, I went through a period of two weeks where uh, I do not remember falling asleep at all for two weeks straight. So I probably, you know, had micro sleep here and there, but I don't remember falling asleep for two weeks. And that, it's not just you're tired. Uh, You, you know, there's a, I remember one moment where I was alone in the house um, and I think this was like in the first week of my, you know, this devastating experience of insomnia where I just started shouting. I was just screaming in agony because that's really what it is. And, and, and I was just shouting like, God, just, just make it stop. I'll do anything. I'll say anything. Mm -hmm. I'll believe anything. If you can, if you will just make this stop and, and let me go to sleep. And then in the very next moment, I had this moment of realization like, Oh, so this is how Guantanamo Bay works. Like this mm. is actually why, you know, you know, the Geneva Convention has outlawed sleep deprivation as a form of torture because it actually feels that way. It's not just you're tired; you feel like your mind is fracturing and you are uh, falling apart, like from the inside. It's a very um, sort of exquisite form of torture because physically you look okay, but you know, inside you're absolutely just uh, falling apart. And so that 
led me to severe crash. The anxiety with combined with the insomnia eventually slid, slid over into a very dark depression, which often happens with anxiety, um, with chronic anxiety, especially. And uh, that ended my pastoral career. That's why I'm a former uh, senior mm-hmm. pastor, because it was such a devastating experience, both physically, emotionally, and spiritually. You don't go through an experience like that and not emerge, um, you know, sort of unchanged. And so I share all of that to say that I know anxiety is a problem, and it's especially a problem, I think, for pastors and people in the ministry and caring professions, um, because we're, you know, exposed to a lot of stress. And so anxiety is a problem. And yet the message of the book is that anxiety isn't just a problem, that it is also uh, one of the most profound opportunities for spiritual growth we have. And that taking advantage of this opportunity involves us rethinking and reframing and reconstructing anxiety from the ways in which the church, um, and even in some cases, secular mental health, but I think especially the church has mistaught us to approach anxiety. And so that's why I wrote the book. Mm. Just want to go back for just a quick moment into your story, and then we'll jump into your book. Um, did you have an, an awareness in the moment that you were experiencing anxiety? I, I did ultimately, I mean, I think leading up to it, uh, you know, because an, an anxiety breakdown like that does not just happen overnight. It build, has right. to build over time. And the building part was really where I missed the opportunity to recognize that something was going on that I needed mm. to respond to. But instead I treated it uh, with all of my functioning coping mechanisms of mm-hmm. I'll plan more, I'll work harder, mm-hmm. I'll make contingency plans. And, and basically, uh, and I write about this in the book, I, I pushed anxiety to explanations of things that are happening out there in the world versus mm-hmm. an inner reality that was happening within me. And because anxiety ultimately is really an inner reality, when we push it out there, like I tried to do, like just say, well, it's because I have a lot of work. It's because I have this meeting coming up. It's we have this budget that we have to solve and I got to work hard to solve that. Um, I'm actually not facing and dealing with the inner dynamics in place that are behind that anxiety. And that's really what allows anxiety to build up to really, you know, really, really damaging um, dimensions like it did for me. You know, basically one way to think about it is, you know, you're, if if you keep denying that there is something going on that you need to attend to, eventually your body will make you pay attention to it. And that's really, I think, what the insomnia was 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 doing. It was saying, you know, no, you you can't ignore me anymore. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm just thinking about the leaders who are in similar positions where there's so much um, dissension or conflict, or not even have to be like uber negative, like conflict or dissension, but it, like you said, meetings and budgets and next week's sermon (laughs) and, and employment and, and like your, your team and your, you know, boss and responsible for other people's employment. And, and that tension, like you said, constantly being pushed outwards or, or the, you know, that there's disalignment or frustration or, or stress maybe that's how people are naming it is stress but it's always it's always 
directed out or, or as a result of external things. And I just think, you know, what were, what were some of the things that were happening internally for you that, that you wish you listened to those red flags that you were like, Oh, this, you know, looking back, I know this is what, what was, what was going on. Well, I think a lot of it was, uh, you know, my fear that I would, I would, uh, fail and that I would lose, uh, my, some, I would lose the church. I would lose my job. I would lose, uh, my own self image as somebody who is successful and competent. That's what anxiety is. Anxiety is the fear of some future loss. And, um, you know, so to, to confront our anxiety, to, to actually face our anxiety invariably means actually naming and facing that fear of loss. What is it? What is the actual loss that I fear happening in the future? And this is why, um, you know, our typical coping mechanisms with anxiety, which often involve avoidance, are actually taking us in some way to avoid actually that feeling of loss or that potential feeling of loss, uh, whether that avoidance move is rumination, as it is often for me, you know, turning something over and over in my head. It's actually a form of avoidance. It's actually Mm -hmm. me thinking, if I just think hard enough about it, if I turn over it enough times, I'll come to this one final turn that will actually enable me to avoid the loss that I fear. But because, you know, loss is inevitable in life and loss confronts us, um, uh, and is, is ultimately unavoidable in life. Uh, when we are avoiding anxiety, we are really trying to avoid loss. And because that's impossible, we get caught in these loops. We get caught in these rumination loops in, in insomnia, in all these various you know, uh, avoidance um, dynamics where we're trying to avoid the unavoidable. And, and so the reason why anxiety is a signal to be worth paying attention to. It's one reason is because it's a signal about some loss that you fear. And it's also a signal about some avoidance that you're actually engaging in. And Christian growth involves both facing loss and actually facing loss with something other than avoidance because Christian growth is following in the footsteps of Jesus, which is the cross, which is... Mm-hmm. The, the, you know, which is death, the loss mm-hmm. of all losses. We, we are not promised loss avoidance as Christians. We actually are promised that we will experience loss. And so the most profound opportunity for anxiety is that it actually reshapes our whole relationship to loss, changing it from one of avoidance to one of which we can actually hold loss. We can actually go through it. Mm-hmm. Anxiety has been named as such a as a as a negative thing, as something to be avoided, something to be medicated, something to be um, coped with or prevented. And I could and and you're saying that anxiety is an opportunity. Is that am I hearing you right? That's exactly right. You know the the typical ways in which the church has treated anxiety is characterized by anxiety as a problem, a problem that we make go away. And we make it go away usually through one of two means. You can broadly categorize it as we're supposed to either pray it away or we're supposed to prescribe it away. So mm-hmm. in the pray it away, anxiety is cast as a as a flaw, a spiritual flaw, a lack of faith. In some uh, churches, even as a sin, 
you know, a misuse of a verse like Philippians 4, 6 to say that, oh, we're not supposed to be anxious. That means anxious anxiety is a sin. And so we must be praying. We need to pray harder. And that adds then sort of this extra weight of shame mm-hmm. uh, on top of the anxiety, which becomes really crippling in many cases. Uh, but again, the picture there is it's a problem that we have to pray away. Or in some churches that are trying to destigmatize anxiety and not make it shameful, it's still viewed as a problem. It's just as a problem that we outsource to secular mental health and we prescribe it away, either with therapy or medication. And I'm very clear uh, in my book that there's a place for medication and therapy. I benefited from both myself in terms of, you know, bringing some of the physiological symptoms uh, a little into, a little more and manageable. But even there, when we think about prescribing it away, the the dominant um, construction is it's still a problem that we have to make go away or lower. And what I am uh, proposing, and what I believe strongly based on my own life, and from, most importantly from Scripture and the, and the model of Jesus, is that anxiety isn't a problem fundamentally. How we respond to anxiety can be, is the problem. That's the difference between anxiety and an anxiety disorder. Right? Anxiety is a natural human reaction in the face of, of, of potential loss. Uh, humans experience that. Jesus experienced that. Uh, in Gethsemane, we see Jesus exhibiting the classic symptoms of anxiety. Um, and his heart is troubled. He's physically disturbed. He's, you know, troubled. Uh, All these things, he's facing his loss and he's feeling anxious. And so that should tell us that anxiety is not something that is a, is fundamentally a problem, but it's something that we're, we actually go through just like Jesus went through it. And it's also not something that we are, we should be seeking some prescription to make go away. We may need a prescription to help it bring under control, but it's not so that we can just avoid and make avoid anxiety and make it go away. It's so that we can bring it into some manageable dimensions so that we can actually go through it. It's it's like a doorway. We have to enter it. Hmm. So there's this fine line that we're walking. We don't want to minimize clinical anxiety or generalized anxiety disorder or PTSD. Though, right? Like we don't want to minimize these disorders in saying that they're not um impacting multi-dimensions of your life. They're not debilitating. They're not uh, paralyzing. And, and, but what, but how would you, what would you say to someone saying that, well, what would, what, how you're approaching anxiety is saying that um, it's dismissing maybe these diagnosed clinical um, um, issues that people are facing that many thousands, millions of people are facing? Well, I think you have to recognize that even secular mental health professionals are realizing that they've made a mistake, uh, that the profession itself has overly conflated anxiety with an anxiety disorder. And again, those are two different things. Anxiety is the normal human reaction. Anxiety disorder is a dysfunctional way that we are responding to anxiety. And if you conflate the two, you end up pathologizing all experience of anxiety yeah. And and I think there are I think there is actual, you know, objective reasons why we have increased rates of anxiety, like externally because of what's happening, especially because of technology and social media. Uh, and you can refer to the work of Jonathan Haidt and Gene Twenge on this. But I also think part of what's driving the rise of anxiety is we've overly pathologized all all experience of anxiety such that we think, "Oh, I'm feeling anxious. There must be something wrong with mm-hmm. me." 
Um, and so I'm saying we need to make a distinction between those two. And and actually, the response, the 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 invitation is actually for is the same actually in both. Is that in both anxiety and anxiety disorder, there's some way in which there's a feared loss that we are we feel like we can we must avoid uh, and we must get away from in some way. Anxiety disorders are characterized by some avoidance practice going on. So avoidance have that usually become addictive um, and then become dysfunctional. And so uh, what I'm trying to outline in the book is a way to go through our anxiety, whether it, it gets up categorized as a clinical anxiety disorder or not, regardless, the path forward is still the same. It's, it's, there's some loss there that we have to be willing to actually endure held by Jesus and held in hope with the ultimate hope of the gospel, uh, which is not that we get to avoid loss in life, but rather that at, in the end, our losses are restored to us through the resurrection. And this is, you know, if there's one contribution I'm trying to make uh, theologically with this book, it's to connect resurrection with anxiety, because anxiety is all about loss, loss in the future. Resurrection is about the Christian promise about what loss happens in the future, which is not that loss remains permanent and therefore something that we have to, you know, avoid at all costs, but rather loss, if we're willing to go through it, if we are truly willing to die like a seed planted in the ground, as, as Jesus says in John 12, uh, that there actually is restoration and resurrection on the other side. And resurrection is the restoration through loss. It's not the promise that you'll avoid loss. And that's a key distinction that I think Christians often um, sort of fail to make, then end up thinking that God's job as God is to actually make sure that we never experience loss. Mm -hmm. I think that's really good, distinguishing between um, that, that if you are experiencing a clinical or a chronic or debilitating uh, experience of anxiety, this is not minimizing that, but saying, by covering it up or medicating it as a solution is really missing an opportunity to uh, face and, and walk through and find holistic healing on the other side. Yes. And again, I want to emphasize it's not, you know, there's absolutely a place for medication, absolutely mm -hmm. help absolutely. therapy. This is not to say, but by themselves, they will not make your anxiety go away. They will not make your anxiety disappear. No, they just and mask it. you will have... Yeah, and you will have missed the opportunity for growth. I mean, one way to think mm -hmm. about this is, you know, when Jesus heals the leper uh, in Mark, in the beginning of Mark, uh, he heals the leper, like medically, the, the leper's condition is healed. And then he gives them an invitation. Jesus gives he says, go show yourself to the chief priests for full, and the reason is for full restoration, mm -hmm. like for the full restoration of him in society, because the priests were the ones who would certify that. The leper doesn't want to do that. The leper actually, the passage <laughs> says the leper actually, you know, skips that step because yeah. he's so excited about the medical, physiological healing, he completely skips the growth. And there's a missed opportunity there. Yeah. Uh, missed And it turns out it, it ends up causing problems for Jesus' own ministry. But it also, I think, ends up a missed opportunity for the leper himself. He could have been restored fully to society in a way that brought him back into full acceptance and embrace as the way in which the you know Jewish society had laid it all out uh, back to his people so that he was no longer viewed as unclean. There would be no question of him being unclean. It's unclear what happens to, to this leper. The, the, the story doesn't go into detail, 
but he seems to, the passage does seem to suggest he missed something. He missed an opportunity. Mm-hmm. And that's where it was an opportunity that offered by Jesus for his own full holistic spiritual growth. Mm. So in your book, um, you talk about how facing anxiety or there's an opportunity for full spiritual growth. Can you walk us through um, that process? Obviously, we want people to be able to connect and get the book, but give us kind of a perspective of, you talked a little bit about the purpose and and reason why you wrote the book, but um, can you share a little bit more? Yeah, there's many, many different opportunities uh, that are, are present in anxiety, some very profound ones. I'll just start with the, one of the ones that I start, you know, uh, fairly early in the book with, which is that um, it's an opportunity for us to really distinguish what it is we want from God. And by that, I mean, uh, anxiety really, it's another way to think about anxiety. It's a scenario of some future loss, right? It's a picture. It's not real. Anxiety is about something that's happening. It's not real in the sense of something happening right now in present reality. Anxiety is a scenario of some future imaginary situation. It's it's like a blueprint, but it's a blueprint rather than of gain. It's a blueprint of loss. You could, we, I'm afraid as a senior pastor, when I was a senior pastor, I had all these scenarios that I would lose my job, that my church would, I would lose my church, that our finances would go, would be lost. There's, it's, my, my head was spinning into all of these scenarios. Now, immediately then anxiety presents an opportunity, which is, well, what do you want to respond to that fear? And the temptation is to stay in the future, is to say, if my fear is about the future, then the answer that I want is some alternative scenario that guarantees me against that loss. I'm going to fight anxiety future on future. I'm going to go into the future and I'm going to get some future scenario. Now, you can get that scenario by thinking, you're, you're thinking, I can think my way. I can think about some solution and strategy. And that's a lot of what I was doing as a pastor, staying up at night. That was what was keeping me up at nights. Yeah. Um, and and that becomes a futile effort because we we're, we end up we cannot ever, ever generate a scenario that guarantees us against the, any possibility of future loss. So we end up just ruminating, spinning our our wheels, and, and to get what is impossible to get. Or we can uh, be uh, tricked into thinking God's got to give me some scenario that's guaranteed against loss. And so we think, you know, yeah, I'm going to pray, and what prayer means is. I'm going to ask God to give me a scenario that ensures me from any future loss. And, and if God is God, then he's going to answer that, that, that prayer. And that's going to be what guards me against my anxiety. Well, anybody who's lived for any amount of time <laughs> will realize, you know, actually God does not come through for us no. in that way. We can, there are losses. Sometimes he does. Sometimes I wish does. every time that would but, be nice. Yeah, but he <laughs> no? That would be nice. Wouldn't it? But it turns out God is not in the business of just generating future scenarios guaranteed against loss. Uh, that, and that if we think that God, that's God, we've got a false picture of God and we're going to be sorely disappointed and may even end up accusing God of failing something he never promised to be or do in the first place. And uh, we'll lose our own faith or we, we risk losing our own faith as a result because we, we have a faith in a false God. Uh, so what anxiety does is it, it raises immediately the question, what, what are you looking for here? Uh, it's the question Jesus often asks, what, what, you know, why are you so afraid? What do you want? And it forces the question, do we think the answer is some future scenario, either self-generated by our own thinking or generated by God? 
And instead, the invitation, as Jesus teaches, you know, in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 6, is actually Jesus says, hey, tomorrow, well, don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow has enough trouble of its own. He actually invites people to get present, to actually return Mm -hmm. to the here and now. Look at the birds right around, right now, right around you. Look at the flowers right now, right around you. Get present to the present moment, to the now. Why? Well, one, because that's actually the best defense against anxiety. If anxiety is always hijacking us to the future, one of the best defenses of anxiety is to actually say, you know, I'm not going to fight anxiety future on future. I'm not going to play on that ground. I'm going to be invited by Jesus. I'm going to return to the present through nature, like he does, he talks about in Matthew 6, through touch, through breathing, through movement. There's a host of ways we can get back to present in Jesus uh, that my book talks about. And then the opportunity, the, the real profound opportunity is not only is our anxiety lessened when we get present, but we can actually become present to Jesus mm-hmm. because we can only develop any relationship with another, Jesus included, in the present, in the now. You and I right. are only developing this relationship because we're here talking to each other right now. I, once I am thinking about something in the future, I've left you. I've, I've gone into a... Another realm. We, as parents, experience this all the time, right? Like <laughs> when we're dealing with our kids and our, our minds are elsewhere, we're thinking about, you know, how to get dinner ready or, you know, the, the thing I need to do. We're not actually present with our kids at that moment. We are not building a relationship. It's the same with Jesus. If we are constantly living in the future and asking Jesus to generate some, you know, scenario that guarantees loss from us in the future, we're actually relating to a scenario. We're, we're mm-hmm. actually asking for and relating to an imaginary scenario, not a person. Um, And so just like, you know, we have to get present to another human being, anxiety is an opportunity for us to get present to Jesus in the here and now, because that's the only way we build a relationship with anybody, including Jesus. Hmm. We talk a lot about that in counseling in different terms, but definitely present, past, but being, I mean, future and past, but being present is, you know, recognizing that's not truth. That's that you are projecting into the future what is truth today and being present or being grounded in where where you are at right now. I love that. For for those who are supporting others, for those who are listening in wanting to, okay, how can I use this as a tool? How can I connect with my congregants or those in my community who are feeling anxious and resist or are are looking for ways out or looking for solutions so they don't feel this way? What can we? What would you share with them that they could use as a tool or a takeaway that they that they can so that they can support people? Well, I would be remiss not to say I think the book is. That's why I wrote the, the book. book. Would be uh, fantastic. <laughs> I mean, that's why I wrote the book was to provide a resource for people to go through this because it's so hard. I think to talk about to process anxiety just you know unguided without any structure or without any input. You're asking me to talk about something that I'm really afraid of that I may not even be fully aware myself. And then you also with all of the potential shame attached around there, especially if you're in the sort of prey anxiety away kind of tradition, it becomes very hard to actually um, bring our anxieties uh, into the open with God, but also with each other. And Mm -hmm. so a big reason I wrote the book was to provide people a, a story, stories, a process, um, some structure by which they can find their own experience of anxiety being narrated through the stories I tell uh, and, and, you know, the equivalents like, oh, yeah, that was like me. I had something like that. 
but then also have it be something that you can talk about with others. Um, so uh, I actually, the, the book grew out of a small group, uh, video-based small group course that I created that's still available on redeemingbabble.org um, that people can, can actually access, but the book was a way to make it more accessible in book format. So I encourage people to check out the book, read it with a friend, uh, do a book group, book discussion, do it in your small groups. Uh, if you want to take a course, you can go on redeemingbabble.org. Um, and yeah, so those would be, uh, some, some very practical steps people can take. Love it. And we'll have all those links in the show notes available for people. Um, Curtis, if you could go back in time, if you could send yourself a voicemail or a letter or a text message, what would you tell your former self knowing what you know now? Uh, I would tell that former self is do uh, lower your avoidance. You're mm. trying to avoid some loss rather than avoid it. Uh, be willing to look at it, be willing to endure it, experience it if possible, mm-hmm. uh, and ultimately uh, believe in the resurrection. Mm, I love that. It's worth the pain going through it. Yeah. Yeah, very good. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Curtis, for joining. Thank you for sharing your resources and being vulnerable and sharing your story. I'm excited to share this with, with many people. Thanks for having me. Hey, thanks for listening. Anxiety has got a bad rap. And if I'm honest, there's good reason for it. Millions of people suffer from debilitating and chronic anxiety disorder. But for the average person, anxiety is a signal that we need to pay attention to, not something to avoid or to label as bad. Anxiety is our body signaling that we are feeling threatened or lost. Now in Curtis Chang's book, Anxiety Opportunity, How Worry is the Doorway to Your Best Self, he challenges us to turn towards anxiety and discover what is triggering the response and learn how we can overcome it rather than labeling anxiety as bad and trying to avoid and ignore it. If you can relate to Curtis's story, I encourage you to check out his book linked in the show notes. Now, I hope you've enjoyed listening to this episode and that it provides you with the support and tools to serve you and your community. And if you haven't followed the podcast yet, you can do that by clicking the little plus button just at the top right-hand side of your device, and then you'll be notified when new episodes go live. Thanks for connecting and take care.